Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Going Coastal podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, Marissa Torres. And I'm your other co-host, John Miller. And on this episode of Going Coastal, we are focusing on our student research spotlight series. And particularly, we're going to highlight some of the amazing research being performed by students and new professionals in the coastal field. So joining us today, we have Crystal Espinosa. Crystal is recently a recreation specialist level two with the Miami-Dade County. Crystal previously received her bachelor's degree in biology from Florida International University and her master's of science in environmental science from Florida Atlantic University. In this episode's research spotlight, we'll learn more about Crystal and her research. So let's welcome her to Going Coastal. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Um, So the first thing that we would love to do is get to know you a little bit better. And um, I guess we'll start out with your um, personal background, um, education, work, kind of your your interweaving journey slash path from where you started to where you're at now. Very open-ended. Sure thing. Um, So again, my name is Crystal. I am um, born and raised in Miami, Florida. I've always had a love for the ocean and animals. So uh, for high school, I did go to a small high school called Mass Academy right on the water. Um, My PE class was learning how to scuba dive and um, lifeguard classes, kiteboarding, snorkeling. So I've really kind of dove in as early as I could. Um, And in our high school, we were able to do internships. So I worked at our local aquarium. Um, kind of got some educational experience. And um, while I was starting FIU to get my bachelor's in biology, I was able to start my kind of, I guess, career in the county here, Miami-Dade County, working at our local, um, one of our local county parks, Crandon Park, doing ecological tours. So teaching people how to kayak, how to snorkel, venturing into different coastal ecosystems like seagrass beds and mangroves. So I was working there uh, throughout my entire undergrad career. Uh, A mix between part-time and (laughs) full-time. I tend to do school and work at the same time, which um, can be a little challenging. Uh, During my time at FIU, I completed a number of different research and internships. Um, I think what really kind of switched my gears to go into a sort of conservation field was an internship I completed called Tropical Conservation Internship through FIU. And I was able to work with conservation scientists at Zoo Miami working with an imperiled species of butterfly called the Florida Dusky Wing. And I was able to do field work in Pine Rocklands and kind of uh, understand this species. There was only one published paper in the 50s about this uh, particular butterfly. And so I was able to kind of study its life cycle and uh, kind of gauge a little more information about this particular species. And I really fell in love with field work. And um, along with my classes, I also completed uh, some internship and volunteer experience um, at FIU, Dr. Highhouse's lab, he does a lot of shark and turtle work. So I was able to study different bruv videos and identify shark and eel and ray species and benthic habitats. I also, for one of my courses, was able to complete a field research project in Biscayne Bay, which is really cool to kind of, um, you know, work in a team and um, develop my own research project, which I think was really cool. And so I was able to study seagrass beds and kind of see how um, Miami's a party site, right? There's a lot of boats that create these prop scars and seagrass beds. And so I was studying if areas that had more prop scars, if the fish diversity um, changed from that. And so um, when I graduated from FIU, I was still working with the county and um, in the field of conservation, I realized the kind of career I wanted to go into was gonna require more than a bachelor's. And so um, in early 2020, I started applying to grad schools and 
I was particularly interested in Florida Atlantic because I really like sea turtles and there was a lot of sea turtle biologists. Um, didn't quite work out, but I did run into my now, um, I guess my former advisor, Dr. Tiffany Roberts Briggs. And I was really interested in the Coastal Studies Lab, which I ended up being a part of because um, Dr. Briggs has a lot of different students with different backgrounds. So I was interested in doing an environmental science track, but she accepted master's, PhD students um, in geoscience, marine bio, environmental science. So it was like a really cool melting pot and she was doing a lot of cool projects. And so um, I was able to have her sponsor my application and I started um, at FAU in 2020. I was working part-time with the county and I was able to secure a TA ship uh, during my master's. And um, so I finished my first year and then last summer, so 2021, I was able to get an internship working with the National Park Service, which was honestly life-changing. One of my favorite things I've done thus far in my career. And I was able to do uh, sea turtle and shorebird monitoring in Cape Lookout National Seashore, which is in the Outer Banks. And it was my first time away from home doing field work um, for a couple of months apart from my family, but it was such a 180 from Miami. And it was really nice to not only become more independent personally, but also just kind of venture out and see how it was working for the national parks. And I came back in August of 2021, starting my second year of my master's and I started, I was able to get the position I'm currently in, which as Marissa mentioned was a recreation specialist too. Doesn't really define much, uh, but what I do is I'm the education and outreach coordinator for the sea turtle conservation program here in Miami. And so I've been working full time uh, still currently and was able to finish my master's working full time, which I think is um, a feat I'm very proud of. So now that I've graduated this past May, I'm kind of focusing uh, full time in this position. And uh, some things that I do at this current role include uh, sea turtle monitoring for the 19 miles of shoreline here in Miami. So our staff are out. Um, very early. I was up today at 4.15 in the morning to do surveys before sunrise. And we mark off nests and false crawls, respond to sick and injured sea turtles, a lot of data collection, which I, I really love field work. And I also kind of run the outreach and education. So I run the social media pages, coordinate beach cleanups, education presentations, I just piloted an adopt a nest program, which the county hasn't done before. So I don't know how I did all of this while I was still doing my master's because it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun and I'm excited to kind of dive into the research I did um, and you know talk about what I'm doing currently. I'm trying to stay in all realms of the environment as much as I can. That, that might be the best answer to that question that we've ever had. Granted, we're only on our episode 15, but you touched on so many things that we want to follow up on later in this interview. So that, that was just, that was, that was amazing. And, and, and the amount that you've accomplished in such a short period of time is, is, is just also amazing. So congratulations on that. And we're going to love to learn more specifically about your research. Um, Wow. Only slightly speechless, just trying to keep track of all the different things that, that you've been doing and that you're interested in. And I have to say one thing that I always get jealous of is, you know, the opportunities that you mentioned, even in high school, um, to get involved and do certain things. Um, growing up in the Northeast and uh, having to deal with cold winters and the weather and even things like diving. Like when, we, when we go diving in a relatively short period of time, when we have our checkout dives, we go to like uh, quarries and we dive in like 40 degree water. So I am very jealous of those opportunities growing up in Florida that you've had. Um, I, and I know we, we definitely did want to, I think, touch on that national park service, um, opportunity. Um, at some point, since you brought it up, I, you know, now's as good a time as any, I think. So can you talk a little bit more about what that opportunity, specifically about that opportunity? Yeah, of course. 
So um, the program itself is called Mosaics in Science. And so it is offered through a nonprofit called Environment for the Americas. And Mosaics in Science is geared towards underrepresented minority groups. So I myself, I'm a, a female Hispanic first generation college student, and they um, partner with National Park Service to send their interns to work inside the national parks. And so when I applied, Cape Lookout was my top choice. And I was really excited. I was able to, to secure that. And I spent about 10 to 12 weeks in the Outer Banks. I was able to live on park housing. I also like, you know, just the, inclu the inclusivity of this program because a lot of job and internship opportunities, mainly internship opportunities in the conservation field are unpaid or you have to pay to participate, which I think is, you know, it's it's hard for people to get the same experience when it comes to a job when I didn't have the time or couldn't afford to take an unpaid internship. So it was really nice that this program paid well. Um, I got free park housing. They paid my gas to drive up to North Carolina. And um, it was really awesome living in a national park. Again, it was a 180 from Miami. Uh, my nearest grocery store and Starbucks was 45 minutes away. So it took some getting used to learning how to cook and fend for myself, but it was definitely needed. And uh, the park was I, where I lived was on the mainland. And we took a work boat every day to a barrier island that was 45 miles long. And so it was just me and another turtle intern. I did 25 miles one way. She did 25 the other. And then we would rope back. So our field days looking for turtles was, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 hours. There was not much turtle activity over there. We definitely have a lot more in Miami, but between us two, it was definitely a handful, but still exciting. And within the park, there was also biological science technicians that were hired to do shorebird monitoring for species like American oyster catchers, um, piping plovers, black skimmers. And so days that I was able to finish, um, my stuff early, I was able to drive um, in an ATV and meet up for banding or um, spotting chicks. And so I definitely don't have a bird background, but it was cool that this internship let me kind of dabble in what everyone else was involved in. And in, I believe in June, USGS scientists came out to the park for two weeks to do sea turtle surveying at nighttime for tagging. So two nights I was able to do like an eight to 10 hour shift at night with red lights looking for turtles to tag and take blood work. Um, and then at the end of the internship, oh, sorry, during the internship, we also were completing a research project. So aside from my work duties, I also wanted to study um, about in her, I forgot what year it was. I think it was Hurricane Dorian, which I think was 2018 or 2019 destroyed a lot of the barrier islands and sand dune systems within Cape Lookout. So there were some areas that became entire inlets that weren't crossable during my internship time. So after, you know, more than a year. And so I was interested in studying how this hurricane that lessened or diminished these sand dune systems was impacting disorientations and turtles. Um, because if the sand dunes weren't as um, prevalent, some artificial light pollution from the mainland might be able to reach the barrier island. So when turtles came to nest or the babies were emerging, um, they could possibly get confused by the lights and disorient, which um, is a whole other topic that I see here in Miami. And so um, my research was using um, disorientation events from previous years and overlaying on GIS the um, satellite imagery from before and after Hurricane Dorian and kind of measuring how the disorientation events, um, where they were located and like if the number changed before and after the hurricane. And it was really, it was really impressive to see, not impressive, it was kind of sad actually, uh, to see after the hurricane, how much of the sand dunes had gone. I think the largest portion was 50 feet um, like width of sand dune was removed in a chunk of the beach where the 
the following year, a lot of sea turtles disoriented. And so I wasn't able to do my research so much in the field since um, what you're collecting in the field, it's not enough in that short time frame to make a research project on it. So mine was more GIS based. But what was cool about this program is that they were going to fly all of us out to Washington, D.C. for a week to meet national park officials and present our research projects. To give you guys an idea, I mean, there was a guy in Guam, there was people in Seattle, Michigan, Puerto Rico. So it was really cool that we were going to meet each other. But with COVID, they had to cancel it. So um, it was online. But overall, I really love the internship. Every time I try to I find someone that has the slightest you know, interest, I like kind of shove it down their throats. I'm like, this was awesome. And um, one last thing I'll speak on it. Um, the National Park Service has a, I guess, smaller entity called in Outside Science Inside Parks. And so it partners with the Colorado, Colorado State University. And a videographer came out during my time and was able to film my fellow intern and I on our, you know, day-to-day -day monitoring. And so they produced a short video about us, which is really exciting. So now that's something I have, you know, when people ask me what I did, it's kind of like a cool little snapshot to have. And I, I can share that video with you guys in the chat to check out later. But yeah, it, I felt like that summer was very life-defining on what I want to do in my career. As, as an engineer and not a biologist or a conservationist, well, you know, I, I, do, I try to do my part to be nice to the environment, but that's not what I think about on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that internship with the national parks that occurred during your master's thesis time, um, and you mentioned that your thesis ended up being more GIS base because of uh, the storm events that had come through and kind of limited your fieldwork opportunities. Um, so what exactly was your research topic um, and, and how did you go about? Sorry, to backtrack, the National Park Service internship included a research project that was not related to my master's research. So I kind of left for the summer, put my master's research on hold and did a whole other project within the, the time frame of the summer. And then I came back to finish my master's and my research in Florida. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, well, in that case, what was your research uh, outside of the National Parks internship? Yeah. So with my master's, I um, did end up taking a non-thesis route and at FAU, it's known as uh, directed independent research. So instead of just taking classes, I still wanted to do to some degree a research project. And so kind of how I mentioned with working for the county prior to turtles, I did a lot of ecological tours. So I have a great love and passion for our coastal ecosystems here in South Florida. So I knew I definitely wanted to tie that into whatever project I did. And so in talking to Dr. Briggs about something that was going to be feasible for my, my two-year timeline here, I settled on focusing my research on marine debris and mangroves. So again, this is something you know very personal and, and meaningful to me because I love mangroves and, and all the time I've spent in there, I've always seen a lot of trash, which is very disheartening and you know, all our ecosystems we're seeing so much marine debris. And so I focused my research project on one island in Miami. It's called Key Biscayne, Florida, which is the it's the island adjacent to where I went to high school. And it's the island that Crandon Park, where I worked on, was. So, uh, again, the island itself is very meaningful to me. And so for my project, I've picked two mangrove in, uh, I guess, forests within the island. One is the northern portion of the island, which is Crandon Park. And those mangroves, since they're on the northeast side, they're facing the Atlantic Ocean. And it's also near an inlet where there's a lot of boat traffic and partiers um, on the weekends. And then the second mangrove environment within the same island on the south end is a state park. It's called Bill Bags Cape Florida State Park. Their mangrove systems 
is more um, residential, I would say. So it's like a canal where uh, the rangers live on one side and it's like mansions on the other. And so it's a little more tucked in and faces Biscayne Bay. And so because these two mangrove environments had varying characteristics of the way they were oriented or like how much boat traffic they saw, I was interested in seeing how the abundance and distribution of marine debris was um, fluctuating between these two study sites. So um, my second semester, so spring 2021, I went and did my field work. My advisor told me, <laughs> uh, my advisor told me that it was the coolest field work she's ever done because it was so grueling. We had to kayak along beautiful seagrass beds to get to the mangrove forest. So she was definitely very happy about our field days. And so we would kayak out to both study sites on separate days. And I would complete line transect surveys. So I would start kind of where the mangroves began and head landward up into the point where water was still, um, I guess, where the water ended, because I wouldn't want to like for trash that was in an area that never, um, you know, during the high tide wouldn't touch. And so I completed uh, line transects. And along the transect, if I found any sort of trash, I collected it, categorized it, noted where it was found. So if it was floating in the water, um, mangroves have these crazy prop root systems that um, look like a crazy mess. So sometimes trash was wrapped around the roots of the tree, um, or I noted if it was just found on the seabed itself. And then I took it home with me and washed it and got like an aerial image and, you know, took all, took all the sort of data of the trash. And so I did that during spring, went to North Carolina for the summer. And when I came back in fall, I started analyzing my data. Oh, sorry. I also, because my advisor is a coastal geologist, um, we had to tie her in with some sediment samples. So along the transect, I also collected sediment samples at the low, mid and high water marks to see if there was any sediment variation that could possibly be tied into um, influencing the type of trash that was found. So when I went back to the lab, we had a road tap siver where I would then I would wash and dry the sediment, put it in the, the sieve machine and note, you know, the different um, the different values for every sample. And it was cool to see when I would take the sediment samples, because in Crandon Park during low tide, you could just kind of walk out sand flats. But in Bill Bags, the, the southern location, I had to pretty much free dive down for my high water sample because it was like 10 feet down and most of it was like oysters. So it was really cool just to see the visual difference, you know, before I actually process the sediment. And so again, as I mentioned, I processed the sediment and on GIS, I went and like pinpoint every trash and sediment sample I took for more of a, a visual to kind of see where the different transects laid. And then, um, so that was, yeah, sorry, that was in fall. And then when I processed all my sediment, it was really actually very interesting. So for both study sites, um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna <laughs> maybe backtrack a little bit. I didn't say my hypothesis. Uh, I hypothesized that the location Crandon Park, so the northern tip of the island that was close to the inlet and the Atlantic Ocean, I hypothesized that was going to have a greater distribution and abundance of marine debris when compared to the other site that was more residential. Again, just because it's it's more of an area that I thought the trash would be flushed in. And so after processing my data, the two study sites, most of them were um, a sand, uh, a very high sand average percentage. Cranon was a finer sediment overall, just because um, Bill Bags at Southern location had those those oysters, which kind of like skewed into more of a gravel percentage. And I also noted that between low, mid, and high water um, values, the more landward you went, overall the finer the sediment uh, became became. 
But I think what was really cool to note in my research was between the two sites, where the trash was found and what types we were seeing, because for some was very drastically different. So as far as the location of where the marine debris was found within the study site, both study sites had over 50% of the trash found on the prop roots. So again, those those root systems are really great at like stabilizing the sediment and creating islands and helping our shore, you know, our shore protection. And that's like where all the trash was found. Most of it was a lot of like fishing line and rope and bottles and things like that. And as for the types of marine debris in Crandon Park, 50% of the trash was fishing gear, which I correlated to be fishing line, nets, rope, things like that. Whereas bill bags had 57% of the trash was plastic. So there was a very drastic difference in the type of trash I was seeing. And um, Crandon Park also had on average about three pieces of trash per transect, whereas bill bags had 1.5. So Crandon had double the amount. And so um, again, overall that, that Crandon Park location definitely had the greater abundance and di distribution of trash, which I wasn't surprised by, again, just by how packed it gets on the weekends. And there's a lot of fishermen there. And so I was, I wasn't surprised even if it came offshore, you know, just how much trash was found. But because this is a park I worked in, I'm really good friends with the manager that um, runs the park. I think it's a great tool to have done this and then be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing in your park. Um, the mangrove area within Crandon is actually a preserve, but because we're the county, everything goes very slowly. And so they've been waiting for these buoys to kind of mark off the area from boaters to prevent, you know, them creating propeller scars on the seagrass beds and docking too close. And so I think with my findings, this would be a really cool push to kind of justify why these buoys are needed to minimize the amount of trash that is found in a preserve where there shouldn't be boaters really anyways. And there is a marina on the other side of the island that, again, the same manager runs. So with my, with my science and sort of, you know, informal education background, I think it would be cool to kind of touch base with him and create some educational signage for fishermen that if they're launching from that marina and just kind of going around the island, um, what are some things that they can do to minimize their trash? So that's kind of my project in a nutshell. That was awesome. Again, I, you know, I, I, one thing that I think stands out when you talk about your research is that your, your clear passion for not only the topic, but also the area um, having, as you said, being fairly close to where you grew up, I think that that has a lot to do with, it seems like has a lot to do with, um, your attitude towards the research. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the opportunity maybe to, to do that research in an area that you were very passionate about and how that may have played a role in your, your, uh, findings or your findings, but your, um, the net result? Yeah. Th thank you so much. I, I try in everything I do to have a passion behind it because I, I can't, I can't, I can't fake it till I make it, you know, I'm just not that kind of person. And so everything I do, I think is with, um, with a big stride and a lot of passion towards it, as you can see. So I definitely pick my study sites and my organisms that I study in my career based on things I, I love dearly. And again, you know, just going into this, into this graduate program, I was really excited and I was of course still working in that park. And I kind of sparked the idea because we do a lot of cleanups in that mangrove area anyways. And it's about a mile hike on foot. So sometimes we wait for like large college groups to come. And it's, I mean, I think we did an earth day there and we picked up about 2000 pounds worth of trash. And we went the next weekend and it was, it was like we were never there. And so I think just spending so much time there, I was very interested to see, um, to kind of see the science side of what I was seeing in the beach cleanups. And so I brought it up to the managers and they thought it was a great idea. 
and because it is a preserve and um, I went through our natural area management sector, which again, or like, you know, my colleagues to, to get a permit and they also thought it was a, a cool idea. And I, I've been really busy since I graduated, but I plan to kind of present my findings to all my colleagues who work in this park and, you know, on some aspect are connected to this preserve in particular to, um, you know, they're, they're tied into it too. So I think it would be cool to kind of share my findings and not just have it be a research project that I graduated and I didn't really um, expand past, you know, like a research conference. I want to be able to, to talk to all these people that are my friends and my colleagues and, and kind of tie them in and brainstorm of ways that we can kind of, you know, as I mentioned, work towards getting those buoys installed or a lot of my colleagues that work in the park are environmental educators. What kind of um, signage can we can we put around the preserve and the marina? Well, have you considered submitting an abstract to an ASPPA conference? I did, Marissa. I did. Um, I submitted my poster for the coastal conference coming up in Long Beach in September. I have not heard back yet, but I submitted to there as well as to Restore America's Estuaries, um, I believe the summit that they're hosting in New Orleans in December. So now that I am not doing full-time school and work, I definitely want to jump in on research conferences while I can. That's so great. And your, um, your current job now with the county, they do support uh, research conference participation? I would have to check since this mangrove work doesn't directly align with the turtle work. I was going to attend some turtle conferences um, prior to COVID canceling them that the county was going to support me, but I will definitely look into that since um, being part of a local government. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, if I do, hopefully, maybe, fingers crossed, get to go to the conference, it would be great to see your poster there and to see you, meet you. Yeah, that would be really exciting. So funny story about an ASBPA conference. I had a student probably my, my only student that's done more of an ecological um, PhD and an engineering PhD. And he was working on oyster cages. And so he had presented his uh, field work and field work in the Hudson River. And, you know, as, as sexy as field work in the Hudson River is, he was in the same session as somebody who was studying living shorelines in Hawaii. And I'll never forget after the session, my student comes up to me and says, I don't know why I picked you. He was like, this guy's got beautiful pictures and videos of corals and fish, and I'm diving in the Hudson River. I, where did I go wrong in life? You tried to be an East Coast baby. <laughs> got to expand, I guess. Yeah. You got to glamorize the field work. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yo, hearing you guys just talk about field work, I am super jelly. Never really had that opportunity. I chose, again, like me thinking back, I'm like, I chose the path of numerical modeling. So you know what I did? I sat on my butt in front of a computer screen and did that all day, every day. And there are perks, but there are definitely drawbacks. And um, I just felt like I was never coordinated enough to do field work. And so I was like, mm, the numerical track is is probably right for me. Uh, but now I definitely wish that I had either more opportunities. Now I seek opportunities where it's like, oh, do you just need extra hands on your field work? Can you just fly me someplace and I will help you? I'm definitely on that track now. We'll be sure to invite you to to help us out in the winter here in New Jersey. I live in New Hampshire. Do you want to come up to New Hampshire? Um, <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> but it's funny how you say that you, you just kind of want to jump in on field work because, um, again, everyone in my lab was just a big melting pot of people doing so many different, like, unique projects, which I really appreciated. It wasn't like we were just carbon copy, just doing the same thing. And so when I was getting ready for my field work and I kind of, I kind of made, like, a little protocol, like, booklet, and I was like, look, this is what... I need you guys to do if you join me. All of them were like, I get to kayak and, you know, look at stingrays and coral. Like, because we would see like nurse sharks on our field work and they're like, sign me up. And so it was really cool to also just kind of connect with my lab mates because I did start my master's project in fall 2020. So really, I only knew my lab just through Zoom. And when it was in person with mask on, and so it was really nice to kind of 
connect with them on a personal level before I finish my master's through them helping me in my field work. So you just hit on like, that's actually something that's, we should probably follow up on, right? So, you know, challenges of just conducting work in general, um, in the era of COVID, uh, we've all kind of had to overcome and adapt. Um, so what were some of those challenges that COVID threw at you, um, in your work? Oh, wow. COVID did a lot. Uh, so I graduated in with my bachelor's in December of 2019. And the day before I graduated, I interviewed and ended up securing a, uh, I guess, internship to go to a fully funded program in Madagascar for the summer of 2020 studying Hawksville sea turtles. It was paid off flights, insurance, food, accommodation. It was like the dream internship. And spring 2020, when I was Um, applying to grad schools, I was taking a course to kind of familiarize ourselves with the culture and, you know, our research projects and we got shut down. And I think about it in hindsight and I'm glad I did not, um, I'm glad I didn't go and potentially get stuck in, you know, a country where I might not have had access to leave or access to, to medicine. And so in hindsight, maybe it's good I didn't go, but starting my grad program that fall it was good on one hand because i do live in miami and my university is a crisp 55 miles from my house and so in starting my master's i was very grateful to not have to commute but i do think it took away from networking which is so crucial in the career paths that we want to go into like you know like these conferences and things like that so I was a little bummed out. I wasn't able to connect with people outside of, you know, these Zoom classes, as well as, you know, my lab mates, as I mentioned, I really didn't get to connect with them until I was kind of wrapping up my degree. And so I'm grateful that I was able to complete this this master's program, you know, while working and doing other stuff I had to do because I didn't have to commute as much to the school and, you know, dedicate so much in-person time. But I do think um, networking was crucially, like, you know, I guess degraded in a way that I wasn't able to. You know, like I said, I'm trying to do the conferences now that I've graduated, which kind of sucks. I didn't uh, have the time or a lot of things got canceled in the time span I was actually a student. So, um, I'm glad things are, you know, sort of getting better here, but COVID did definitely impact a lot of um, my opportunities. Wow. Yeah. So when you said that you were supposed to go to Madagascar, like fully funded, definitely going to go. And then the pandemic happened, my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh, oh, my goodness. I couldn't even imagine like how you must have felt in that moment. I am glad that you know, it's been two years, you've had other opportunities and pursued other uh, options and you kind of have a better, um, or, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. no pun intended, um, you know, better outlook on it. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, well, that's, that must have been rough in the moment. Um, but I am glad that you're happy with where you are now and, and how the journey that you took to where you are was, it was meant to be clearly, um, you're doing well, you're significant. It seems like you're, um, really excelling and exceeding and you're very passionate about what you do and you really care about it. And not many people can say that and not many people may feel that they're in that position. So, Maybe they just need a little inspiration, a little kick in the butt, and (laughs) you can get there too. You can be passionate about it without faking it. I am a fake it till you make it person, but then you fake it until you, (laughs) you fake it until you (laughs) become it. And that's the goal, right? Um, You know, got to get, got to get started somewhere. I think that is helpful too. And just to kind of touch briefly, I mean, in, in all the things I've done, I, definitely experience imposter syndrome. Like I find it hard to call myself a scientist, even though I've done all these things. So I think sometimes not even faking it because, you know, we are doing these things, but kind of like telling yourself in your head, I I am this, I am doing these great things. It kind of like 
reinforces in your head um, that you, you know, you are a scientist, you are an engineer. But I definitely kind of struggle, um, you know, like what to call myself because I've done this and this things. But I, I don't know. I, I definitely still kind of struggle on, um, like, on yeah, on that on imposter imposter syndrome. I think. I- I think I want to meet your parents because your outlook is just so outstandingly positive that like, I, I can't even imagine uh, all the adversity that you've been through and, you know, everything that you've discussed with so much passion and like, wow, I just, I'm like literally like, you know, as a parent here, I'm like, wow, I, I hope that I can transfer a little bit of, your positivity and your passion to my kids. And if I just get a little bit to them, I've done a good job. Uh, so, you know, kudos. Oh, so I know my mom's going to cry during this episode when she hears it. <laughs> well, speaking of adversity, you have come over a lot. And being a, a female Hispanic first generation students, um, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or if you'd like to share anything about that personal experience of being a female Hispanic in this field? Yeah. Um, so John, even though I have a lot of passion, my family, um, the most they do with the environment is, you know, go and lounge on the beach. My mom, um, hates animals and I show her me pictures of like touching sharks and stingrays and she screams. And so I don't know how I got into the environment cause it definitely wasn't influenced in the family. Um, but as for my undergrad, being a part of Florida International University, I think Miami's like 70% Hispanic. So I didn't feel like I stuck out or anything just because it's such a big melting pot. And, you know, most of my friends and, you know, um, my significant other and just everyone I, I live around is Hispanic. So that's just my normal. I will say, though, in the National Parks internship, even though the program was focused on, you know, these minority groups, where I was in North Carolina was just drastically different. It was a very small conservative town um, that, you know, I feel like would make me a little uncomfortable if I um, spoke Spanish out loud. And so um, that was definitely interesting. And I know a lot of my fellow interns did have um, some you know, racial issues in the parks they went to, even though we were doing this great work. And so that was definitely a shock to me because, you know, you kind of hear um, these stories, but living in Miami, I've, I guess, had the luxury of not, um, <clears throat> I guess, being impacted as much in that. Um, and I guess as for my job now, too, you guys mentioned, like, where you do field work is very cold and a lot of people kind of seek out Florida uh, for our environment and, you know, research and things like that. So I will say too, in my job, I think I'm one, there's like about 18 of us and there's only two of us that are Hispanic. We are all female. So I, I have, um, I don't know if it's just marine biology or conservation in general, but most of the jobs and internships I have had been have been a female dominated space. Um, but Hispanic, not so much. I feel like a lot of people do come down here for school and kind of stick around. And so, um, I mean, that's good for, I guess, some diversity. But um, what else was I going to say? Um, I will say with the first generation, too, was really exciting for my family. I come from, um, my parents were born here in America, but my grandparents on both sides migrated from Cuba. And so it's really exciting because this degree is more than just me. You know, it's like for everything my family has kind of sacrificed to be here. And on top of that, just getting my master's, my parents and my grandparents are like, PhD, are we going next level? I'm like, let's just be happy with two. I'm good with just my master's. Um, so yeah, I, again, I, I think North Carolina was more like a, like a shocker, but thus far kind of sticking around South Florida where I'm from and where it's already pretty diverse. I haven't had too much, um, I guess adverse effects given my diversity, if that makes sense. 
yeah, I mean that that, that that's you know again just you know it's 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 something you know that I have a hard, that I I I can't quite appreciate um, being a, a white male coastal engineer, which is kind of the majority, right? So, you know, every time that I that I hear a story such as yours um, or some of my students, um, you know, you know, I, sometimes you take it for granted. Um, you know, I think some of the, you know, just being around people that are very similar to you and not, you know, necessarily getting that diverse perspective, um, you know, and how in certain areas in New Jersey happens to be also a, obviously a very diverse area. So I grew up around multicultural um, people. So, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I think role models are really important. So, you know, the fact that you're doing a lot of not just the research, but also the communications out of it, you know, I think that's really important because, you know, people need to be able to see like themselves and somebody else's shoes, like, Hey, you know, I can do this too, right? I can, I, I can go get my master's degree. I can go get my PhD. I can go, you know, I can be a scientist, you know, cause that's not something that everybody grows up believing in. Right. So, uh, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm having spoken to you today, you know, and everything that you've said and, and knowing what you do for a living, like, oh my God, like you're like in the perfect spot. So, you know, uh, yeah, just, just keep doing what you do is, is, is really what I have to say. Thank you. And I, I just want to add again, working in my current job and being, you know, one of like two that speak Spanish, whenever people approach us on the beach, when we're uh, collecting data, you can kind of see sometimes they're like, they want to ask something. You can see they're really excited um, in their eyes and I see they're hesitating or they talk to their family in Spanish. And the moment I start talking to them in Spanish about like what I'm doing, you can just see their whole attitude changes. And they're like, they're like so relieved. I'm like, wow, oh my God, you speak Spanish. Tell me what you're doing. What is this? So I, I think it's really important to, you know, involve our local communities and the research that we're doing, especially with my, I guess, more public facing field work that I do in Miami. And, um, I'm trying to do what I can. I don't have any sort of outreach programs right now in Spanish, which I think is bad and not inclusive. I recently applied um, for, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Clearwater Marine Aquarium. They currently have a um, completely Spanish-speaking turtle program that comes with um, a bunch of like replica models and teaches people in Spanish about diet and reproduction and turtle lifestyle and injuries. And so I applied for that grant to see if we're able to serve, better serve our Hispanic communities here. Because again, given where where and how I've grown up, I wanna make sure that I give back. And John, like you said, just kind of um, be that role model for people to see that you know marine biology or conservation can be more than just you know what you dream of when you're little and like i want to work with dolphins like you know there's there is a field for it and so if i can be that kind of gateway for people or be the connection as far as you know our hispanic community here i'm, I'm more than willing that's so great um that sounds like a great goal to strive for and i hope that that starts to become the norm um, especially in the coastal community, especially around the country, especially in areas that are majority uh, Hispanic-speaking uh, cultures. As someone who is half Puerto Rican with the last name Torres, I do get approached in airports by Spanish-speaking individuals, and I have to disappoint them every time because... I did not learn Spanish growing up, unfortunately, and it's just another friendly reminder to definitely pick up Spanish for reals this time, and hopefully it'll stick. Really got to make it stick. It is important, especially that communication and the outreach portion, not just getting someone to their gate correctly in an airport, so... It's, it's, it's been on my list for a long time. And, you know, like, honestly, just the last last week I got approached to do an interview on a Spanish television station here um, about rip currents, because unfortunately in New Jersey, we've had about six people pass away in, in rip currents so far this year. So it's dangerous. And 
you know, and they were looking for somebody who could speak Spanish and talk about rip currents, you know, and unfortunately I, you know, I, I can't. And I remember, you know, we have rip current warning signs here in New Jersey and it was such a struggle to find somebody who could uh, articulate, you know, what a rip current was, you know, in Spanish, because there, there wasn't really, uh, I guess a, a one-to-one translation. Right. So, and it was just such a hard thing to, to find. And, you know, it struck me as, you know, something that's as dangerous and deadly as that and how important it is to inform people about what to do. And, you know, I felt very um, uh, insufficient in that I, you know, I couldn't help, you know, help contribute. I couldn't help contribute my scientific knowledge about what rip currents were and what the dangers were. And I couldn't articulate that in Spanish, you know, to a population that needed to understand more about them. And it's, it's unfortunate. So, Definitely anybody out there thinking about second languages or third languages or fourth languages, I am all for it. Communication is such an important part of what we do, not only, you know, certainly as scientists, I think it's important to not only make the science, but also be able to talk about those ideas um, to as many different people as possible. So, I definitely agree. And I would also like to add here in Miami, um, kind of before my time, but a couple years ago, our turtle program did receive a grant. So along with our yellow nesting signs that kind of tell people like, hey, this is an endangered turtle, please, you know, don't touch its nest. We do have printed signs in the top six languages in Miami stating that same information. So in Spanish, French, Portuguese, Creole, Russian, and forgetting one. There's six. Um, So I think that's also a great tool. Again, when you have visitors and John, like you mentioned, something as, you know, safety wise, like rip currents, I think it's important to convey that information for our transient populations as well, where, you know, it doesn't matter what what language you speak. Here's the information that that's important to to know when you're visiting our, our coastal, our coastal beaches. Absolutely. Snaps for that. Now, Crystal, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And by talking to you, I mean listening to everything about your research, your journey to where you were, to where, how you started, to where you are now. Um, Unfortunately, we, there's still so much to talk about, but we do have to start wrapping up. And I have three final questions for you. The first is, what are your future uh, plans? Um, Where do you... What what do you think is going to happen in your life in the next, or what do you want to manifest in your life in the next five or so years? I love manifesting things. <laughs> um, I think in the next, you know, five, 10 years, I hope to still be in the line of conservation biology work. Um, as you can see, most of my stuff is marine, but my degrees, I chose to do biology, environmental science, because I still like terrestrial stuff. So I never want to close myself out to opportunities that might not be totally focused um, in the marine or, or coastal environments. But I hope to still be in South Florida, because I think there's a plethora of work here that um, I can delve into. And um, while I love sea turtles, I would really love to work with them in the future. I would really just want to be a part of any sort of conservation work that's geared towards our coastal ecosystems and and working to to better preserve um, our environment. We love that. And the PhDs may or may not be on the table. This is a side question. I, I'm done. Right, <laughs> I, I right. honestly, that's fair. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to go out into the into the job force. I'm, I'm done with my degrees, but my my family is like, next one, doctorate? Are, are you good? <laughs> I mean, you could just, you know, get a master's when you need it uh, kind of thing or a certificate when you need it kind of thing. So there's always that option too. You don't ever have to go for a PhD. Okay. Second question of the three. What is your favorite thing about sea turtles? Oh my God, where do I start? <laughs> they are so cute. Um, hmm. I think my favorite thing is just how 
magical an experience and scene that hatchlings go out to the water is. Um, side note, I'm a very sappy, romantic person. And so um, I met my current boyfriend at um, the job I mentioned where we kayaked and snorkeled. And um, our like first date was releasing hatchlings to the water. And so again, I'm like very sappy, passionate, just like everything is involved with the environment somehow. But I think just there's, <laughs> thank you. Um, the, the hatchlings are just so cute and so full of energy. And it's, it just gets me a little teary eyed to see them go out into the water and like start their lives. And we don't follow along. You just kind of, you kind of hope they make it. And we like to call them the little chicken nuggets of the sea because <laughs> unfortunately I'm sure everything eats them once they reach the water. And that's why their numbers are not doing too well, but um, it's definitely magical and rewarding to kind of like all the hard work and the long field days and waking up, you know, before the crack of dawn. It, it's rewarding to see when the babies start hatching, which they are now in Miami, which it's my, my favorite part about turtles. That's so cool. Yeah, I just imagined, you know, a documentary with David Attenborough talking to me about the sea turtles. I would love that. <laughs> All right. Last question. We ask this of all of our guests. What advice would you give to someone who's interested in pursuing a career similar to yourself? That's a good question. I would say look into any kind of opportunity, one that your university offers. So when I was at FIU, I didn't really know about that butterfly internship until my junior year. And so I feel like if I found about it soon, found out about it sooner, it would have opened um, more doors. So I would say, you know, look at resources, look at job boards. Um, I think it's Texas A&M has a great job board that includes really everything under the sun as far as internships and job and volunteer opportunities. But really just figure out what you like. Um, if you have the opportunity to do lab work, or field work while you're still an undergrad. I learned really on, I, I don't like being in the lab. I really like being in the environment. And so just kind of having those little experiences to um, better help your, yourself understand what you're, what you're gonna enjoy in the future versus just like thinking about it, I think is a good idea. Um, I, I urge, you know, organizations to offer more paid internships. I'm also really passionate about just inclusivity and making sure that these experiences are accessible to everybody. So um, programs like the Mosaics in Science, when I did, I'm a very big advocate if you are eligible for these kinds of internships. National Park Service offers a lot of different ones and they're paid and they'll, you know, give you some opportunity to go and stay in a park that you've never been in and just kind of dive in into something that maybe you haven't done in the past. So Look for opportunities, you know, in your area, but also outside of your area. Um, pursue things that you're passionate in. I, I thrive on passion. It's, again, I, I can't fake it till I make it. I got to do a job that I love. So I'm, you know, happy and content with myself at the end of the day. Um, and, yeah, just surround yourself really with like-minded individuals and network as much as you can. Um, most of my jobs, it have been because I've, you know, known somebody that has told me about the job. And so really networking's your best friend. And so if you're an introvert, um, like I can tend to be, even though you can see I talked a lot on this podcast, <laughs> um, wait, you know, networking really is your best friend. So just kind of get yourself um, out of your comfort zone uh, that will then better help you in your career. Wow. Snaps, claps. Um, I wish I had a friend like you when I was an undergrad because everything you said is great. And I really hope um, any listeners out there, I would imagine I'd hope that there's listeners out there, um, really take what Crystal's, Crystal's journey and her advice, take it to heart. You guys can do this. You can do, you can do anything that you set your mind to, especially if you're passionate about it. So find that passion. Crystal, it's been a pleasure listening to you and talking with you today. I'm really glad that you came onto the show, and I hope to hear more about your research, about your um, 
about your job, what you're doing, maybe at the ASBPA conference this year or in future conferences as well. I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so, so much for having me. I've really, I really enjoyed this a lot. Thank you again. We'd like to thank everyone for joining this episode today. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as uh, we have, or as much as I have, at least. Just a few friendly reminders, um, ASBPA related. Remember to submit your poster to the national conference, just like Crystal did. It is due August 1st. Additionally, on August 1st, a deadline to submit your award nominations. These are both for the professional and student award categories. They include the Murrow P. O'Brien Award, the Robert L. Weigel Award, Weigel Award, check my pronunciation, guys, uh, the Robert G. Dean Coastal Academic Award, the Gooderham Media and Communications Award, and your ASBPA Member of the Year Award. For ASBPA, focus on your Rising Star Award. And for students, um, nominate your student ed- a student for your Student Educational Award, the James Houston Coastal Economics Scholar Award, your Nicholas Krauss Coastal Scholar Award and your Student Coastal Advocate Award. Remember, it's a lot. There's a lot of awards. Just go to ASBPA.org, go to the awards page, check them out, and make sure you nominate a person uh, by August 1st. And don't forget, the Certified Coastal Practitioner Program includes two modules that are offered as short courses for the National Conference, and those will take place before the conference activities begin. So with that, thank you and have a great day. Thank you.